I went hiking with some friends and I was super lean and I could hike mountains. But that day I was wiped out going up this uh, mountain and I'd like stop four or five times and just get, I was winded, exhausted. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. Hello, MainBiz listeners. This is Andrea Tetzlaff with the MainBiz podcast team. Today, I'm talking with Kai Adams of Sebago Brewing Company. Kai grew up in Maine before moving to Colorado to study geology at the University of Colorado. In his early 20s, Kai was diagnosed with lymphoma and returned to Maine after treatment to recuperate at his father's house on Sebago Lake. After meeting Tim Haynes and Brad Monarch, the three ended up starting Sebago Brewing Company, which has since grown into one of the top brewers in Maine. Today, I'll talk with Kai about the diagnosis that ultimately led him to pursue his dream, why it was important to start the business in Maine, and what it was like to be on the leading edge of the craft beer boom in Maine. So welcome, Kai. Thanks for joining us today. If, can we just start, kind of start at the beginning with a little bit of your history? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Falmouth. I uh, went through uh, middle school, at K through nine at Falmouth. And then uh, my mom moved to West Cumberland. And I grew up uh, in West Cumberland and went to Greeley and graduated from Greeley High School. So you finished high school at Greeley and then you went out to Colorado for college. Is that correct? Yeah, so I finished high school at Greeley, really had to work hard at academics. It was really challenging for me at that time, uh, you know, had a little ADD and worked my butt off to get to get through high school. And then I went to school at, at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut. I really wanted to study geology. I had a professor at CU Boulder, um, excuse me, at Bridgeport, who really inspired me and was a great teacher. Uh, Doc Rock, his name was. So I applied to Middlebury and CU Boulder, and really the Boulder geology program was fantastic. Really sort of came into my own at, uh, as far as academics were at, at Bridgeport. It was a really good program there. So I I'm, got accepted the geology program in uh, CU Boulder and went out there. And all of a sudden the environment was completely different than this small little inner city school, Bridgeport. I think there's 80,000 people at Boulder. Yeah, it was an intense, you know, couple of semesters. And, you know, I wasn't flourishing at the school like that. And so I sort of stepped back um, and took some independent study, just sort of regrouped a little bit to figure out where where I was going to be at at Boulder. And that's when the 
I, I started at the Oasis Brewery in Boulder. My girlfriend at the time was a hostess and they needed someone to work in the brewery to clean growlers and stuff like that. And so I really thought that was cool. And how old were you at that time about? Uh, 19. 19. So, so I was 19 and working in a brewery in Boulder, Colorado. And I was just, I couldn't be happier to go to work. It was and, great. And you were, were you still taking classes at this time? Yeah, I was taking the independent step, like, like extension program. I wasn't fully enrolled in, in the school because of some of the grades I had. Um, but I really liked what I was doing at, at the Oasis. So when I got to the Oasis and was doing what I was doing, it was like, wow, this, this is what this is all about. You know, a job that I really liked. So that really piqued your interest in brewing. And so you hadn't, of course, at 19, I, I assume you hadn't at this point done any like home brewing or anything like that. No. And that's always the question people ask. I remember uh, I, I spent a lot of time in the cellars, cleaning tanks, cleaning growlers, cleaning kegs, like really grassroots stuff. So and you were really involved in that sort of micro brewing or craft brewing stages as it was starting up in the Colorado um, region. Yeah. And it was, it was happening. So you're kind of learning the trade from the ground up. It sounds like kind of cleaning the tanks and cleaning growlers. Yeah. And as you're doing that, are you, do you start to see it as a, a career path for you in some way? Not quite at that time. When yeah. I was working, I was living the Boulder dream, you know, living in the mountains. And, you know, I think I made $6 and 75 cents an hour. Yeah. And my rent, which was wicked cheap, was about seven fifty a month. So you, if you do the math, it doesn't really <laughs> add up. It's uh, not a career option at that point. <laughs> yeah, but I, I had gotten a raise, and you know, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed uh, but, working. So it may not have been necessarily been thinking of this as your career at this point, but was your was your thought and your plan to stay out west and to kind of explore the scene and what it would mean for you? Or did you have plans to come back east? No, I was really excited about the Oasis and then and about brewing there and being part of that culture. I remember meeting Dave Evans and, and Mike uh, from the Bear. They had come out for the Great American Beer Festival and they were sitting in the bar at the Oasis and we had just won a gold medal or something. And they said they were from Maine and I met them out there, which, which was awesome. So it was at that point, it was just what I was doing. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I was thinking about us having this conversation and there was uh, a lot of precursors that were presenting themselves to this day that changed it all is that I went hiking with some friends and I was super lean and I could, hike mountains but that day I was wiped out walking up the hip going up this uh, mountain and I had like stop four or five times and just get I was winded exhausted I went to this concert and I had to I had to, I was about to pass out and I literally left the concert and sat on the curb and I was just like what's going on and I, I don't I don't remember feeling like that drained and you only reflect on this when you look back, but sure. 
I remember going to the bathroom at the Oasis and there was this small bathroom downstairs right at the entrance. And I went in and to the mirror and I, I, I was, well, I washed my face or something and I saw this big lump in my throat right here. You can probably see a little scar right there. Yep. And, you know, you kind of panic and it was, you feel around just, you know, probably like people that have breast cancer, they feel a lump or whatever. And I was taken back at that moment, looking in the mirror. And so my dad was a radiologist, he's in healthcare. And so I just called him, started started this process at, at the hospital. It was really a, an eye-opening experience going through all the treatment. My dad came out and we really kind of talked through some of these, what was the process, what was going to go on and all the tests we took. And the, one of the big tests they did is a chest x-ray and you kind of lean up against the, the equipment and they take a chest x-ray and the x-ray came back. My dad being a radiologist, he knew exactly what was going on. I had a huge tumor in my chest about the size of a football. And so as a 19 year old kid, I must have been 20 at about that time, sort of listen. And my dad could really explain it really well, break it down how doctors go through the process of what steps you take and the things that you do. If this, then that, if it's this. And they determined it was, it was Hodgkin's, <clears throat> which is a lymphoma that goes into your lymph nodes. You have to have surgery. And they test all your lymph nodes. Then this was like 30 years ago. Uh, test all your lymph nodes. I, they took out my spleen because they were prepping me for what was to come for radiation therapy. So major surgery. I have a big scar on my stomach that's 27 stitches and got prepped for that. And then went and had the surgery and came out. And that, was, that, that time was really unique, just being in the hospital. I was the youngest kid in there, you know, 19, 20 years old and didn't feel like this, all this really pertained to me. Are you still working during this time or is kind of all of your energy focused on treatment and, and getting better? So that's a great question. At the brewery, they, they were busy and they needed help. And so I got, when I was cleared for, uh, to, to work, you know, I couldn't do heavy lifting because of my surgery, but I could go in and oversee. And I remember I'd ride my bike. I'd go to ride my bike to the hospital and get radiated, jump on, go back to the brewery and where I, you know, I don't want to sit around all the time, but I did that for about a month. And by the end of, I had 3,500 rads of radiation, 30 days of by the end of that, I was freaking exhausted, you know, sure. a couple times. And my dad was like, you know, you need to, you need to regroup. And I had to move all my stuff back to, to Maine, but I, I was very reluctant to go back home, you know, 21, tail between the legs, got to go home. Yeah. It helped. It helped a lot. And so let's uh, let's take a quick break and hear from a couple of our sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll talk about that return to Maine and what that did for you and kind of what came next in life. We'll be right back. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. 
And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it. A story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. It was the driving force. Having Hodgkins said, you gotta do stuff. You have to do something. And everything else fell away. Welcome back. We're talking with Kai Adams of Sebago Brewing Company about his journey to starting Sebago Brewing, which started with uh, a diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma while he was in Colorado. How how long were you receiving treatment for, Kai? It was a month. So it was, I got weekends off, but I'd go in 8 a.m. every day. they get in the room, they'd get you lined up and zap, you know, it wasn't, you don't feel anything. It's like getting an x-ray on your. your It's doing stuff. You just don't know what it's doing. Yeah. (laughs) But after third end of the third week, I was white. So I I moved back home. My dad was like, you know, let's get your stuff. We'll move back home. And I was reluctant just because I'm an independent person, but he's right. You know, I needed a place to to, to sort of recoup. And so it, fe- back, it felt like asking for help at that point. Yeah. 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 I didn't want that, but that, that's, I think I got home. Oh, geez. I can't even remember. It must've been uh, first of August and he lives right on the lake. So I, I got to really relax and, you know, when you say right on the lake, I'm going to assume Sebago Lake. Um, yeah. Right on Sebago. As soon as I got back, you know, I, I didn't want to lose touch with the my, my work in the beer business. And before I left, I applied, I sent an application to the CDOG. I reached out to them and they were hiring and I was going to move up to Camden the middle of September. So that summer was awesome. I worked at, at Gary's that summer, you know, the end of summer working at Gary's, a couple of days, a couple of mornings, not a lot, but it was great to at least be back into the scene here in Maine and at Gary's, who was one of the, you know, the East Coast uh, first brewery in from 86. So it was, it was great to see them and meet them. And so yeah. you moved to Camden in the fall to start working for Sea Dog. Yeah. And, and uh, it was awesome. I mean, I'd lived on the lake and now I'm going to, to Camden and uh, bunked up with some buddies that were just, starting uh, there was a boat school up there that they started going to and you know it was it was a good time it was awesome so and was it same similar there like starting from the bottom up or did you kind of come in with a little bit more responsibility i i have the best application that i i forgot that i wrote wrote all this stuff but i and my application said applying for assistant brewer's position i'm a talented janitor. I know how to, I like, I literally listed out all the things about the dirty things that you do when you're working in a brewery, not like I can brew this kind of beer. I, I just knew what the work was. Right. And there were 200 applications and I was the only person with any, any brewery experience. And how long did you stay there for about? It's, it, it was a long journey and it, it was a great journey for me at the Sea Dog. I, I learned a lot from the bottom up. Sea Dog had expanded to several different locations. They opened up in Bangor. So like on my last year I was there, it was pretty much me in in Camden 
making a lot of specialty beers and keeping the pub operations going. But, I, you know, I didn't love the way the business was operated and I felt like there is, is a better way. And also I was coming up, I was 24-ish and I knew at 26, I'd get, uh, you get off your family's insurance. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was important because I needed to have health insurance. Every year I was doing a lot of tests and forced that upon me. I loved the time at the Sea Dog because I was the brewer. I'd go to the bagel shop or the grocery store on the corner. At that time, NBNA was there and there were so many young people around. It was, it was fantastic. It was the heyday in Camden. I really enjoyed it. The ocean, I, I grew up on the ocean and the lake, but it was fantastic. Lifelong friends were made during that time. At that time, there's some really significant points going on at the, at, which turned me around is that I witnessed the way that company was operated. I, I was learning, I learned the operations of the, the brewery from ground up. So now I've worked at three breweries. I understood the production, how it works, what equipment you needed. Uh, at that time, information was brewing techniques was coming out. Dogfish open, stone brewing open. There was a new resurgence of a lot of different beers. And then I was sort of thinking about what my future looked like working, you know, I was working for the man. So I was, I was like, you know, I think I can, I think this is something I can do. How, how do I do this? You know, I grew up on Sebago. That, that was kind of instantly my idea of, what, you know, we would brew the water. We would brew with the water from Sebago. I have the concept in mind, but what, what are the steps I need to take? So it, after that, seeing the Sea Dog, and I started really sort of thinking about what that looks like. And my dad got a, a business plan put across his desk from a brew pub in Connecticut. They were looking for investors, you know, whatever. And he handed it to me. He said, oh, check this out. I was, I was like, oh, so all these ideas I had in my head were sort of organized and put down here from an investor standpoint. So you so were coming up with a business plan in your mind. It just hadn't been put to paper yet. That's right. So I would get done with work and go down to the Camden Library and just look at all the, the Yahoo feeds. I, I really learned a lot about corporations, corporate the way you organize corporations, financing, I, I literally put myself through an MBA researching how, and I took that business plan and started writing my own, how it correlated to where I wanted to get to. So that's that's sort of where the, the plan started to hatch. So how, what are the steps you need to do? So I, I quit the Sea Dog and moved down south to South Portland and looked for a job in the restaurant business because I wanted to open up a brew pub. And I, I don't know, I picked like corporate restaurants because they know what they're doing. They have it kind of down to a science in terms of That's the mechanics. Right. Yeah. And I could, you could have, there's a thousand restaurants I could have gone, but I really, I liked, I thought Chili's was a cool concept. I knew, I researched a lot about the company and what, how many units they have. And so that was going to work at Chili's. People were like, what are you doing? Why are you working at Chili's? It, 
these next couple of years were formative. They were fantastic. I was going to say, it sounds like you were being really strategic about it by like, okay, so I've gone through all of this brewing experience and I figured out that I really love brewing and I have a passion for it and I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. But in my mind, what I'm thinking is I want to do brewing and restaurants. And so now I got to figure out the restaurant piece of it and just kind of really being strategic to build up to what your end game plan was. Absolutely. And that I, I knew a lot. I knew how to do the brewery piece. I needed to figure out the restaurant piece. Remember my, my GM at the time was so confident in how he knew how to run this business. I was like, cool. How much is the phone bill this month? And I go home and phone bill, November, you know, 20, 1997, phone bill this month, 375. You know, and, and I would, it was really a little bit of corporate espionage because I'd get everyone's sales shit, like chits, and I'd collect them. And then I, all, all, all the numbers were there. So mm. you were even looking at the operational costs of what all of that is that you're not, as a, as a bartender or a server, you never think about, but you were looking at okay, operationally, how much does it cost to open these doors every day? How much does yeah. it cost monthly to be paying the staff and be paying the bills that keep this thing going? Absolutely. I mean, really needed to learn all that. And I built my own PL based on the data that I have. So that was very helpful. It was, it was great. It was a really good learning experience. I uh, met a lot of people, but those key people, me and Brad and Tim uh, was, was awesome. So, so Brad, and Brad, Tim, Brad and I would go over to Eastside Mario's at the mall and we'd talk about it. And I had put together a, uh, I'd worked with a consultant and I put together the business plan for Sobago Brewing Company. Eventually get your investors on board. Yeah, family and friends and a couple of, you know, business people that we knew. Uh, we had a SBA loan for, for, the, for the equipment and for, for the interior. Uh, all during that time, I was looking around for equipment to buy, and I we found this equipment that was in Hawaii. So this is great. <laughs> hey, Brad, let's go to Hawaii and get this pack this brewery up. <laughs> and uh, Tim had had back surgery, so he couldn't he couldn't go. So Brad and I went out to Hawaii. We just started our checking account. We had some funds in it. <clears throat> went to Hawaii. Met the guy that, that owned it. It had never been installed, this equipment. It was really cool equipment. It was up in a storage container up north of uh, Kona, the town of Kona. And we went and inspected it and put it all together. We drove up the hill to Hilo and we had this convertible. It was awesome. I can't remember what kind. It was like a red sports car convertible. Went to the bank and put the down payment. Our attorney, got all the, lean, the liens cleared and he was working middle night, but we signed the first check. It was like $43,000. And I had to write our address and it was my home address in Portland. <laughs> it was the first check that we ever wrote out of Sebago and just we're coming down the hill and in Hawaii, just like we just bought a brewery. As you and Tim and Brad are kind of going through this investor process and now you've flown out to Hawaii and, and bought a brewery essentially. Um, what a great way to start a business. Was your health ever a concern to Tim and Brad? Was there ever conversations between you guys about what you had been going through in the past five and 10 years? And um, if that was a concern for them? 
Other than as a friend and obviously being concerned about your health. Right. Really the driving factor was what, you know, we all sort of share the very same core beliefs. Really is important that healthcare is part of our organization. Opening a business and going through all that by the time I was 25, my peers were like, who the hell are you? They, they were, they couldn't believe that they, they would look at this business plan or they would talk to me like, wait, you are a bartender at Chili's. It was the driving force having Hodgkins said, you got to do stuff. You have to do something. And everything else fell away. And the goals aligned and I just pushed. And so for our listeners who might not know, um, Sebago Lake is one of Maine's largest lakes. Yeah. You have a, I would, is, would we, would it be fair to say your signature IPA is Fry's Leap or one of yeah. your IPAs is Fry's yeah, Leap? Absolutely. Which is named for uh, a cliff that many people can remember jumping off of. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe not anymore, but back in the day, it's kind of all these revolving themes around Maine keep showing themselves up. Was it really important for you guys to kind of bring all these ties of Maine together in Sebago Brewing? Yeah. First open, the, the, the brew pub had these, these seats that looked like the back of an antique wooden boat. We had p- antique wooden boat pitchers, you know, really sort of contemporary, but lots of wood. The bars made of mahogany, and most all of them are uh, now. But, you know, what we found that the branding of Sebago, and this is a whole another episode, but when we opened the doors, that we're like, where is everybody? You know, oh shit, what do we do? And it took time, but what what eventually happened is we got a lot of the restaurant people from the area, the late night happy hour. But what it was is it was all different types of people. And like a bunch of girls could come in and feel safe at Sebago, or some elderly people could come in and have their split of Ruben and a chowder. And like there was so many different facets to to what we offered in the beginning. And it wasn't just about just about the beer or just about the food sure. but our food quality has always been really high um you know we always people always like yeah your food's surprisingly well and brad tim and i are just like it's surprisingly good and we're like yeah that's what we're striving for surprisingly good but really it always has been up casual upscale and we've really tried to you started with the south portland location at the main mall yeah. and you I, what seems to me in my memory, you quickly grew, you grew to multiple locations. South Portland in 98, Portland in 2000, Gorham in 2001. And we used that same royalty investment model to help fund. And we paid off the first group of investors in five years. So you started Sebago before, as we've talked about a little bit before really the the big craft boom started in Maine um how I guess I am curious kind of how you felt confident that you could um open this up and be successful was it kind of the unique aspect of having the brew pub to go along with it um or was there something else that made you kind of feel confident that the three of you could really take this and run with it and make it work I, I felt like we had a concept and an idea that was based on, it was really based on a lot of our values. Like we believe in quality and we believe in value. And like, when you start 
you know, when you start a business based on your values and your, your core beliefs and you, you build everything around it, it really changes a lot of things. And we were working at Chili's with this crew of people, you know, Brad, Tim, and I knew every, we took 15 employees from Chili's to Savega. All of them believed in us. We all had worked together before. It was, it, staffing wise, it was so easy to, to uh, of all the restaurants, that was the easiest because we knew everybody. We knew what they could, and we, they, we would want to go. I mean, those are the people we wanted in the boat, you know, Brad and Tim. Brad is a fantastic manager. He's, he's a great leader in that aspect. So people were, were willing to do it. So we had the ideas. Brad had owned a couple of restaurants before. Tim had worked in a lot of startups. So we, you know, our roles, Brad was in the back of the house. Tim was in the front and I was in the brewery. And then we were, we all had those, those pieces. Yeah, I was going to so, say, it sounds like your skill sets really complemented each other. Absolutely. And, and to this day, it really does. I mean, we would overlap a little bit. We had to kind of figure that out. But you won't, those guys, Brad and Tim, do not want to be on a podcast. They yeah. don't want to go up and testify in Augusta. That's where my strengths are. And, you know, I'm out talking with people. And they're great operatives. You know, yeah. that, you really can't find a better trio. We thought we had the challenges of the, the past 20 years. The last three years have been the absolute most challenging. In what ways? All of, of all of it. In what ways? Uh, the growth, the, the, the COVID, the, the people. I mean, it's just been, it's very complex. You know, it, it went from a one unit brew pub, couple of guys to multiple units, uh, staffing. And we last year before COVID, we had 227 employees. We're down to like 150. That's hard when you're when you have that many people. I mean, we're leaner now, and but man, the decisions and the choices and the things we had have had to think about over the last couple of years. Like we live in upside down land right now. It's been crazy. I, I guess also the 2018, 2019, or 18 through 20, I was the president of the Maine Brewers Guild, and we had some of the biggest, heaviest legislative lifts that, have, that the guilds have faced. So that was also part of it. You know, very proud of, of the work that that organization's done to sort of lift up craft beer in Maine. Seems like kind of after that legislation changed, all of these sort of tasting rooms, smaller, smaller breweries opened up. Yeah, I, well, I think 2012 was the big year of like that's when Maine Beer and Baxter opened. Mm -hmm. So I, we were a dozen, dozen years, 14 years in by then. But yeah, it just changed. It really evolved at those couple of years. Yeah. Uh, we did pass the brew pub, the, the tasting room law, yeah. which really helped a lot. Wish we had sort of figured out the licensing piece on that earlier on because it, during 2020, they were all a lot of them were licensed as bars. Oh, and it so when really, things had to be shut down, really screwed over a lot of people because, and you could convert it, but it, convert the license, but it was just, it was just, you know, and you never can predict that. There, no Who would have ever thought? So looking back now, kind of 23 years into this venture that you and Brad and Tim 
started, do you feel like it's achieved what you thought it could achieve? Has it surpassed anything you thought it could be? Or, you know, do you still have more goals that you're hoping to achieve with it? Oh, I guess my goal was, was to be able to drink a pint of Fry's Leap IPA at Fry's Leap Cafe while looking at Fry's Leap. And I, I actually have done that. That was kind of my goal. There you go. Um, we had in 2005, a grandiose plan to op uh, open 30 brew pubs, be the number two production brewery in the state of Maine, like really these huge goals, but then the whole, everything changed, you yeah. know, and it got com more complex and we, you know, we got a little older and the, you know, the risk, the risk reward is, is here and is, you know, it depends on the day. Right. But we are ever as passionate about craft beer and the industry, about hospitality, about the restaurant industry, our, the, the people in it, you know, and it's so diverse. I think our goals moving forward is to do less better and just to stay focused on, on what the operations we have, the people we have and build sort of to build sustainably. I was playing golf the other day, but my buddy said, hey, you want a beer? And I was like, sure. Frasley comes out of the bag and it was canned a week before. And granted, that means that we're, we don't have enough beer because it's, it left the brewery a week ago and now they bought it in a store. But to me, that that's a tough goal to, to be. That's tough to beat. There's not, not a lot of breweries can go out in the public and grab a beer that's, you know, six, seven days old and yeah. that's that fresh. So that's really important to us and, you know, just sustainably growing so that we can take care of the people that, that have worked for us for so long. Great. We'll take one more quick break and we will come back and talk with Kai about what he has learned over 23 years of starting a business, growing a business and uh, treating his employees so well. We'll be right back. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, you've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. I knew when I was starting Sebago that I was going to be as supportive of others as they were to me. We are back with Kai Adams of Sebago Brewing Company. And so Kai, I'm just curious, we were just talking about if the brewery had sort of met or surpassed your expectations now that you're 23 years in. So another way of looking at it now that you're 23 years in, looking back, what have you learned over all that time about starting a business? so many facets there's like so many different pieces that come together i i definitely would stay say like stick to your core values i mean really it's driven us in a lot of difficult situations if you can just write them down and talk about them like this is what i believe this is what's important to me this is how i will react in this situation uh, one thing I learned Brad taught me on very early was nothing is linear. It seems basic, but there are so many different ways of doing business. Other thing that I le we learned is that we try to be the best customer to our vendors. 
because that's really interesting because if you when when is the shit hit the fan it it's friday it's saturday night if you owe somebody money they're not going to bend over but if you're current in your in what you owe people and you're pro let's say you can't pay them why don't you just call them up and say hey tom i need another week can i get you this much on that day you'd be surprised most people like during the most people are just shocked that you actually call well it also sort of goes back to those core values you talked about at the very beginning with when you guys started the business yeah who are you and what kind of person are you going to be yeah so tell me about your time and your involvement with the Maine Brewers Guild and kind of what that's taught you about the brewing industry in Maine and and maybe a little bit about if and how it's allowed you to give back to the brewers that are coming up behind you guys. I have always been involved with the Maine Brewers Guild since 98. Yeah. Uh, I It wasn't quite as organized. We'd have maybe one or two meetings a year from 98 to 2000. 2010 for that <laughs> long like we'd have one or two annual meetings and it, a lot of times it was for you know just to catch up on some things we would do some legislative work the, the resources that are available to brewers and um, in the early to mid 90s that we have now so I remember like those guys helping me out and even in Colorado I remember driving from Boulder to Denver to uh, to to borrow barley or something from um, Breckenridge Brewing or you know and that that was always there Uh, I think from those early times of being sort of starved for resources being at the end of the road in Maine uh, the Maine brewers have always been relatively united you know competitive in the market but from a brewer standpoint uh, it was hugely important to support, you know, the mechanics of brewing. Uh, and I feel like when I, I knew when I was starting Sebago that that I was going to be as supportive of others as they were to me. The first batch of beer that I brewed, Brian Smith from Casco Bay came over and ran my filter and filtered it for me. I, I didn't know how to run the, this this DE filler, the DE uh, filter, and he came over and did it. He's like, oh, you know, because he had one. And I was like that. I barely were. I wasn't even open in this. He came over from his brewery to take the time to do that. Um, I know when I was stepping down from the the guild uh, two years ago that our real goal was to keep the unification of the breweries, uh, of of the brewers, and making sure that the, uh, the board of the guild was diversified to represent different regions and different sizes of breweries. Um, And I think that they've really kept that together. Uh, COVID created a lot of challenges and a lot of of diversity about, because some people couldn't open, they were mad that others were. And I I totally understand how people were feeling, but I think the resources that the Guild provided to help people through that was awesome. Sean did a great job, Abe um, from Orono and Colleen, and the whole board have, have have done that very well. And big shout out. I mean, you can't talk to any brewer in Maine without uh, them mentioning how supportive Allagash has been to to everyone on every level. So it's been it's been it's been really great to be a part of that. And I think we're a model for most uh, brewery organizations across the country. Kind of going back to the topic that started our conversation today. You were really young when you received your diagnosis. 
and it kind of changed the trajectory of what you thought your life was going to be um, and brought you back to Maine. So do you have any advice for business owners that are kind of looking at, you know, a large change in their life, whether it's professional or personal and kind of how they sort of see through it and continue down their path or, or adjust to what their new path is? Well, we're all different, right? We all have different ways of dealing with stress and dealing with, you know, change. Uh, I've always been really good at that. I can compartmentalize good, bad, indifferent, and just stay really hyper-focused on what needs to get done. That's, and I'm, I can take a lot of risk. I'm, I'm, I've always been a risk taker. I'm not afraid of it. You know, I don't, I, fear doesn't cripple me. And that takes, a, that, that takes a, a lot of the pain out of it if you have those attributes. Yeah, I mean, I was presented with what I was presented. And I feel like in life, you are always going to walk up to two doors and you have to make a choice and be okay with what that, what that choice is. Sure, you can look back and say, reflect on what those decisions I made and modify, you know, based on, on the past. But, you know, really, and I tell some young people, it's like, really got to, it's hard when you're young to think about what something could be, but you got to start somewhere, right? You have to visualize the goal. And if your goal is, I want to open up a brew pub or I want to, you know, start a bagel shop or what, what it is, what does it take to get to those points? You don't have to do it all day one, you know, break it down into chunks. I just knock out your core values, know what they are and be able to stick to them. Don't waver, you know, and, and stick to that. And really nothing's linear. It really isn't. There are so many different ways to get it out of your head that there's only one way and your way is the only way because it, it things, you know, no wonder that college is college teaches people about um, working together in a group. I mean, that is, I, I find myself, I'm least productive when I'm working by myself. You need to lean on others and their expertise. You're not, Leaders aren't right all the time. They're mostly wrong. <laughs> I feel like I am, and I'm like, wow, that is a great idea. I didn't even think about it that way. And uh, compliment people often. That is huge. Just take a minute every day and say, great job, or thanks for that message. People that you're leading only want to know that they're doing a good job. The Day That Changed Everything is a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Main Biz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Main Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The Main Biz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.